Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast exists because of paid members at decodingtv.com. If you go to decodingtv.com, you can sign up to be a paid member and get ad-free episodes of our podcasts, uh, including of Decoding TV and A Cast of Kings. You can get early access to episodes and exclusive bonus episodes that we'll make just for you. Thanks to everyone at decodingtv.com who makes this podcast possible. I know you killed two corpus at Molana One. I know they're coming for you. Seems like such a waste to let them have you. Waste of talent. Who are you? That's the wrong question. The right question is, how much time do we have to get out of here? Why would I go anywhere with you? Don't you want to fight these bastards for you? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV. I am David Chen. And I'm Patrick Willems. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be recapping and reviewing Season 1, Episodes 1 through 3 of the new Disney Plus series, Andor. Uh... We are not going to spoil anything from any future episodes. That includes anything on the next time on preview, but we will be spoiling everything through episodes one through three. Uh, and I'm really excited to dive into the show with Patrick H. Williams. We just announced earlier this week uh, that we would be recapping the show on the Decoding TV podcast. We're really excited to have you here. I do want to point out that you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. That's for the audio version. Or you can watch it on youtube.com slash decoding TV. You can also email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of feedback throughout the course of the season. We'll probably discuss it on the show. So before we get to the episodes, though, Patrick, yes. probably a couple things we should cover uh, at the beginning of this conversation. Okay. One is uh, we released our first recap preview episode uh, a couple days ago in which you and I reviewed and revisited the uh, Gareth Edwards movie Rogue One. A Star Wars story. A Star Wars story. And during that conversation, uh, let's just say I've gotten a lot of texts and tweets about our comments about the final Darth Vader sequence. You had texts? As in your <laughs> friends were so concerned about things we said on a podcast that they had to text you about yes. them. They're like, David, I'm, conf- I'm, I'm worried about your safety and sanity because of these comments that you made. Now, to recap what our comments were, uh, Patrick said something along the lines of, you know, the very final scene of Rogue One where you see Darth Vader there uh, is an, a perfect example of, the, of what is wrong with current day Star Wars storytelling. Uh, that it is kind of a higher, better CG version of what we've seen before. Uh, and it doesn't contribute anything to that story that they were telling right there. Now, I, there was some pushback to this that I think actually I wanted to present to you and see what you thought. But like the one piece of pushback that I thought was like actually pretty convincing okay. is that that final sequence in Rogue One is about Darth Vader being a badass and it looks cool. And, you know, I, I think that's part of our problem with it is like, it's too much about that, but 
it could also be construed to be equally about the fear, the pain, the sacrifice of all the people who are like bringing that disc with the plans, you know, and handing it off in a relay race style thing uh, to get them off the ship. And that does, in fact, tie in with the rest of the themes of Rogue One, uh, which are about sacrifice and what people are willing to do for a greater, greater good. So I did, I did think, hmm, I, uh, I guess it does kind of tie in with some of the themes. It's not completely just unrelated. It's not like super rich, you know, because you don't know any of these people, right? But at the same time, it's not completely disconnected from the rest of the film in the way that I think you and I might have implied. What, what say you, Patrick Willems? I mean... <sighs> That is true that uh, it does, you know, it does showcase uh, rebels sacrificing their lives uh, to to get this 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 message, this information, uh, these plans, uh, you know, to to their destination, which has is what the whole movie has been about. The movie is about sacrifice. The character, the main all of the heroes of the movie uh, do die in the end. Um and that said, I still think the again, I think it's a pretty well directed scene. It is, uh, it's fun, like on its own, like isolated from the rest of the movie. It's a fun little clip to be like, oh wow, here's Darth Vader being really scary. Oh wow, here's you know what it must be like to be a regular person going up against Darth Vader at the height of his powers and everything. I still think uh, Darth Vader's mere presence in the movie feels like a tacked on piece of fan service mm-hmm. as if they didn't have enough confidence. Again, this is, and we'll get into this in the episode, but uh, and or the show is in many ways what I really wish Rogue One had been, which is having the confidence to tell a story within the Star Wars universe without feeling the need to push in these like really familiar popular elements to appease the fans mm-hmm. and um and to me that's what darth vader in rogue one largely is it's just like oh that this this movie's kind of risky because it's about new characters so let's let's put a couple scenes of darth vader being cool in there uh to make people happy um and i still think it feels uh it is I still, I still just think it's it's unnecessary and indulgent, even if it does like tonally mm-hmm. fit in with uh, the movie that we've been watching up to that point. Well, listener, I tried my best. I will say, I will say that uh, I think you're you're right that like it feels kind of like Darth Vader doesn't need to be in the movie. You could have a whole fine movie without Darth Vader, um, and also it would have been nice to not have a Skywalker or someone from the Skywalker bloodline in the movie as a, came, as a significant role. We came however, so close. However, Rogue One is about the Death Star, and that is a thing that we've seen before. You know, That is the primary thing that Rogue One is about. So anyway, uh, I had to give it a shot. Okay. It, totally fine. And look, uh, it is literally impossible to voice any opinion on Star Wars <laughs> at all without getting some kind of pushback there is mm-hmm. no uncontroversial opinion about star wars except for maybe i think empire strikes back is a good movie mm-hmm. um and so look if people have problems with things i say about you know george lucas's uh space stories bring it on i wanted to mention this rolling stone piece that was published this week uh, this was a piece by Brian Hyatt entitled Inside the Making of Andor, the Star Wars series that changes everything. 
what I'm about to read may be considered a very minor spoiler. I don't really consider it a spoiler, but if you're really uh, wanting to stay spoiler free, then just skip the next minute or so. But uh, I, I thought that some of this stuff was interesting about how the show was made. Uh, quote, Lucasfilm's original concept was for Andor to be a five-season show with each 12-episode season covering a year in the story. Uh, and both Gilroy and uh, Tony Gilroy and Diego Luna initially signed on for that enormous commitment. Uh, said Luna, I realize how much I miss this job and miss this character. Uh, but, but around the time they were shooting the show's fifth and sixth episodes in Scotland's uh, Scotland, the duo sat down, had some drinks, and decided they had agreed to an impossible plan. At the rate it was taken to make the show, five seasons would have turned out to be a commitment of 15 years. It was just like, we can't possibly do this, Gilroy said. It's a massive, massive undertaking, and Diego wouldn't be able to play a younger man over the next 15 years. We wouldn't be able to physically do it, and we were like, oh my god, what are we going to do? So at first it was desperation, and then a very lucky, elegant solution presented itself. Uh, and the solution was... To push against the draw-it-out imperative of ultra-serialized storytelling in the streaming era, with Lucasfilm's permission, they decided to drastically speed up the pace and turn the show into a 24-episode limited series. Andor's first season, which covers a year's worth of events, was already broken up into three-episode blocks, each block held by a single director. Uh, for season two, which be begins production in November, each three-episode block will cover one year, end quote. So... That is a plan for Andor. It's it's interesting to to conceive of it as like, oh wow, it was almost uh, a fifteen year commitment that lasted five seasons, and now it's only going to be two years. Um, it really would be wild to like like. I think they made the right choice there because, uh, as much as obviously within the Star Wars timeline, this period the you know period between episodes three and four is like a very fertile ground for stories there's you know a lot a lot going on it's like the the empire at a tight but also that that's especially for diego luna who i i just looked it up earlier is is currently 42 asking him to play younger than he currently is for like a decade plus is like it's a big ask and uh i, I mean you know that to me is the least problematic issue because uh the the my response to that is better call Saul. basically better call Saul okay. takes place before the events of breaking bad and literally everyone's like decades older in that show and it was fine like that's, there was no uh, problems. that's a very good point i retract my statement but but i can understand they're just like hey we're freaking exhausted after like working on this for five episodes we cannot do another 50 episodes of this i mean you know, tony I gilroy is in his 60s yeah like he's <laughs> if like is he gonna be if they did that, it's like, okay, so this is basically everything he does for the remainder of his career. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that's like it. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, he would be I mean, pulling a James Cameron avatar, basically, if he yeah. is, is Like, does he want to dedicate the rest of his career to, to Andor and Star Wars? Uh, probably not. But. I know. I will say, uh, did you read from, like, maybe a week or so ago the New York Times interview with Gilroy? Yeah, you mentioned it on our last episode. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at it again today, and uh, and I think that I think is really interesting uh, relating to the the genesis of Andor uh, is th the fact that they went through a couple versions of the show without Gilroy involved. I uh, and th th that I just that's interesting to think about because apparently they they wanted to make a Cassian Andor show, which I think is an interesting thing in the first place because he's like, 
as we, we we did a whole episode on Rogue One, but I think uh, Andor, like a lot of the characters in uh, in in that movie, are they have a really good actor who's like fun to watch. They have a really compelling beginning of a character, but they don't really ha- get around to like fully fleshing that character out. Uh, it's and I, you know, Andor in Rogue One, I'm like, oh, this person seems kind of cool. But it's not like, like he, he doesn't – do you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not immediately like, oh my god, I need to know everything about where this character came from. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and so – but yet they were set on making – it wasn't like Gilroy came in like while working on it and was like, you know, I'd love to do more with this. Gilroy was done, but, but Lucasfilm was like, we want more Andor. And they commissioned a pilot script and then just happened to show it to Tony Gilroy and uh, – and then he gave notes on it. And and what he said was, uh, I found the memo from four years ago where I basically said, it's Cassian and K, uh, K2SO storming the Citadel. I don't think you can do that for 20 episodes. So I wrote a whole manifesto in some manic blitz. I said, this is the show you should do. I sent it to Kathy Kennedy. Uh, and it was like, okay, well, we're not doing that. They tried another approach. When that fell apart, they read this memo over again, and suddenly what seemed insane two years earlier was starting to look good. That memo two is the years show earlier, we- two years earlier, a key statement there. Like they they had tried for two years and couldn't figure out an approach that worked. Right. Basically, then, they basically yeah. like presumably it seems like they wrote two other pilot scripts and mm. with other people, and then finally just came back to Tony Gilroy, <laughs> and uh, and all this time passes of him. You know, having no intention of act, he just like threw out ideas. He was like, "If you make the show, here's what might be a fun idea." And find and what I think is also interesting is looking at the timeline of this. I feel like a lot of this was happening during the time when Lucasfilm was maybe having trouble with other projects and like, you know, replacing filmmakers and stuff like. There's a lot, a lot of turnover there, and it's interesting because you know, I, uh, famously, the only. Uh, like Disney era Star Wars movie to have an untroubled production was The Last Jedi. Everything else went, had some kind of turmoil there, and uh, and then and and it seemed like like at least from the out from from the perspective of a lot of like people like us, it, it it seemed like man, Lucasfilm really seems to be having trouble like letting these filmmakers they hire like because they're hiring interesting people but like letting them commit to their vision and like and do the thing that they were hired to do without micromanaging or are hi- replacing them with other, other people and it's it's interesting to me that eventually they they finally came back to tony gilroy and were just like you know what just we're just going to give you basically, it seems like kind of carte blanche to just fully spend multiple years making whatever you want to make. And we're not going to get in your way. And we're all richer for it. Uh, it's but true. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about whether we are richer for it, you know, uh, and or episodes one through three. Let's talk about overall thoughts. Yes. What did you think of Andor episodes one through three? And then what we're going to do for the rest of this episode is we're going to talk about each individual character's plotline. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about episode three as a as an independent unit because I think there's a lot of stuff that happens in episode three that's awesome. That's true. But let's talk about overall thoughts first, Patrick Willems. What did you uh, think? 
overall thoughts, I am a fan of the television series Andor. Uh, I, as someone who has had very, who has been very mixed and mostly lukewarm on at be- lukewarm at best on the Disney Plus Star Wars shows, the live action ones, uh, Andor is kind of what I have wanted them all to be this is uh so far just just from the first three episodes i think it is much more satisfying uh and and just enjoy like i I am i'm genuinely really enjoying this show and it's doing stuff with star wars that i i just i'd kind of assumed they weren't going to do we talked about this on our rogue one episode but it seemed like star wars was mostly interested in just kind of like replaying greatest hits rehashing like uh stuff we've seen before uh giving just like a a lot of like just just playing with with the old toys uh giving a lot of fan service moments boba fett riding rancors and and stuff like that just going back to tatooine again and again and again and again uh so far in andor in the first three episodes no tatooine no, not even not even no tattooing, no desert planets that play a significant role as far as right. I can tell. I mean, so. the place where Cassian lives is kind of barren, but it's yeah. like it's wet. There's it, there's yeah. mud. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah. also trees. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, uh, no desert planet, which is great. But um, it is it is a Star Wars show that does not seem remotely interested in fan service. That is not cramming in cameos from like beloved minor characters. Um, it is. Uh, it's it's doing what I've always wanted at least so far, which is it's just telling a story that happens to be set in the Star Wars universe that is not all about Star Wars. Uh, and and it's I mean we'll get into this in more detail, but it's also doing a thing that I've really wanted to see for a very long time, which is folk, spending a lot of time just showing the lives of pretty ordinary people in this galaxy, people who have jobs and like adult relationships and stuff like that. Uh, People who aren't the leaders of rebellions or royalty or chosen ones or bounty hunters, just fairly ordinary people. And um, I I think it's, it feels genuinely fresh and unique compared to, I mean, maybe all the Star Wars ever. I'm not saying this is like a miracle and the greatest show I've ever seen, but I think it's genuinely good and I'm really hooked and having a great time so far. Agreed with pretty much every single thing you said. I think that what is exciting to me about a show like Andor is all the stuff you said, it's like there's no lightsabers, there's no tattooing, there's no force, right? For some people, they're like, well, why would you want to watch it then? Like, why why would you want to watch that as a Star Wars thing? And it's, and it's my reaction is it's a big universe that Star Wars introduces to you, starting with episode four, right? It's a huge, all this stuff that's happening. And it's like, what if we just zoomed in on a tiny corner of that and like explored interesting stories there? That's what I want. I don't want anything that, that has anything to do with Luke Skywalker and the Skywalker bloodline anymore. Like, like. David, that, can I jump in and read one quote from Gilroy that sure. I think is so s- says a lot? Sure. It was from this New York Times interview from last week, uh, where he says, um, "Was it? I remember having a conversation with Kathy Kennedy, and she said we can do anything." I would say, "What do you mean by anything?" 
If I wanted to do Inherit the Wind in Star Wars, could I do that? And my god, we could. We could do a hospital show in Star Wars. How many beings exist in that galaxy? All those plumbers and farmers and anesthesiologists, they all have lives. And that is something that I've, like, for instance, I think that I would always say, like, semi-joking but kind of serious to my friends when they announced the Obi-Wan show, which is, like, I would just say, I hope the whole show is just him hanging out at, like, the pod racing track with a bunch of losers, like, every episode, and just, like, a slice-of-life kind of thing. And this, and or so far, is, like, closer to that than I would have expected. Yeah, uh, and I I would say that I don't think Marvel has done quite what Tony Gilroy just described, you know, um, but it's come closer to it than Star Wars has, right? Marvel, I feel like, you know, yes, most origin story movies are like pretty similar, but like at least there's like a little bit more variety in there than I feel like there has been in Star Wars. Um, I do want to say that a lot of people did reach out after our last episode and said, hey, you should check out The Bad Batch animated show like that's really strong um and also visions right basically the non-live action stuff has been really strong from star wars right. perspective so uh i do want to note that it's not like star wars hasn't done that kind of exploration or interesting explorations at all but i agree with you that getting a sense of what these other characters are like completely beyond the scope of our main story is more interesting to me at this stage of my life. It may not be for you who's listening or watching this, but it is for me. Um, now, of course, ironically, like Andor is a prequel series to Rogue One, which itself is a prequel to Star Wars Episode Four. So it's not like completely separated, right? Um, there are going to be elements and there's characters, as we've seen in the posters, uh, that will be in future episodes of Andor uh, and that will tie into what we already know. But so far, I agree, episodes one through three feel really fresh. Uh, and to feel like this series will be satisfying in its own right, completely separate from any knowledge you might have about Star Wars. That I don't know if that's going to be true by the episode 12. Like maybe Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are going to show up and it's going to be like, oh, okay, well, guess we're back there again. But uh, as of right now, it looks like they're telling a completely different kind of story and I'm really excited about it. As in there have been some... I'll just say very stupid complaints on the internet about the lack of Easter eggs in this show. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And which is one of the most depressing things I think I've ever heard anyone say about like film or cinema or uh, at all. Uh, just the, the idea that people have become so conditioned to watch things specifically to look for uh references to other things as if it's like a looking at them as basically a puzzle instead of like a piece of narrative art uh is just it, it it's bleak that's a that's that's a bleak opinion and um and i feel the opposite about it i i i really enjoy watching a star wars thing that is not designed to make me just do the leo pointing meme every five minutes it is really bleak, and unfortunately, I think it's a very dominant part of the discourse today. You know, a lot of people, I think, think of art as a puzzle to be solved or as a set of Easter eggs to be discovered, as opposed to a narrative to be enjoyed in its own right. And uh, that's a bummer, I think. Uh, and I'm glad that Endor is bucking that trend and saying we're not we're not concerned with any of that stuff. So. 
before we get even, I know this has been the longest preamble possible, but before we even get into the main episodes themselves, there's a couple of meta elements to the episodes that we should just mention real quick. Andor has like a title sequence. Just thought I'd throw it out there. I thought, it, you know, it's kind of cool, like the title coming into uh, folding in from space and, and so on and the logo and such. It looks like there's a planet and then no, it's mm. it's it's the symbol. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you also get some nice haunting Nicholas Bretel uh, strings over that little title yeah. sequence. Yeah, yeah. It's not you know not quite the banger that his Succession theme song is, but it's <laughs> uh, it's a striking little melody at the beginning. He did some great work in episodes one through three. Nicholas Bretel, the composer. We start the show, episode one, on Morlana one, which is also entitled. It also has the words Preox Morlana Corporate Zone in the opening credits. And I love they just throw you in. They don't even explain what any of this is. Uh, and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Andor's storyline in the first two episodes. Uh, Andor shows up at, do you want to say it's also BBY5? BBY5. Uh, what is BBY5, Patrick? I believe it stands for Before the Battle of Yavin, five mm, years. Got it. Uh, which is, I, I'm curious if this is like, a term used within the galaxy is it if everyone looks at the battle of Yavin as basically such a major event that it's like a turning point in the entire like right. history you divide history into before the battle of Yavin to after the battle of Yavin. Yeah. Right. Interesting. And, uh, or if it's just like a helpful thing for the audiences, say, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. five years before that. Well, if it's trying to be helpful to the audience, as a newcomer to Star Wars live action shows, relatively, it wasn't helpful because I was like, "What is that?" Also, to be um, clear, I, I, what I just told you, I read that on the internet. I did not, <laughs> okay. I did not watch the episode and be like, "Ah, yes, I know what this means." <laughs> so there is this kind of Blade Runnery universe or world that that Andor arrives on, and he kind of takes this big walk down the street, and he shows up at this, uh, let's say, nightclub. I would Un- say it's a brothel. Hmm. Is that I don't think that's ever explicit though though Patrick like you don't know you don't know what they're going back there to do maybe they're taking back there and they take the dudes back there and they play some video games you know you don't know what's going on um you know that is true <laughs> uh but uh but based on the demeanor mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. the woman with the really she uh, whatever her, I feel like uh, we should have like the the, the cast list yes. and character name is right here. But yes. the woman who Andor speaks with, who has an amazing look with uh hair with intensely horizontal hair, um, <laughs> she just I mean again, Star Wars tends to make give people cool, striking appearances, and she just looks really cool. Uh, but based on the, how friendly she is with him and the other people they're complaining about, like not being served, it, it strikes me as some kind of brothel, which also, <laughs> assuming the, it the is, actor, by the way, is Margaret Clooney, who plays, uh, uh, that, uh, person in the bro- in the space brothel, uh, allegedly. Yeah. Does, does she have a, a character name? Um, I think, uh, it's just called Hostess. Okay. In, uh, yeah, but I'm not sure. But. I will say, if it is a brothel, as I believe it is, that is new territory for Star Wars, yeah. as far as I am aware, which is, uh, I feel like, kind of an early signal that this is going to, while not being like an HBO show, it's going, it's like a little m- more mature than 
previous Star Wars. I believe it was your colleague, Adam Lance Garcia, that pointed out that this is the first Star Wars property that has used the S word in it. Is that it right? Is. Uh, is... Yes. I, I, I sat up when that happened. I was like, that that is a word that I've never heard in at least in live action Star Wars, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it only ha- it, it is said once. They do say bastard several times. Mm. So a uh, lot of ground being broken in the Star Wars universe, left and right. All right. So the reason Andor is there is because he's looking for his sister, who he grew up with in Canary, and we see that in flashbacks. Um, but. She's not there. They can't find her. No one uses the real name there. So he kind of leaves empty handed without really that much of a lead as far as I can tell. Um, But the two sentry guards there are really angry at Andor that he got to see a hostess first. And so they try to shake him down outside of the place. And they also uh, don't like the way he's looking at them. And mm -hmm. they just they have a problem with his whole vibe. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And. There is actually a really brilliant sequence when he's kind of uh, like they're kind of approaching him from behind and the frame kind of stays on Andor's face for a really long time. And I think you're meant to kind of try to understand all the emotions roiling underneath the surface under Andor. Like what should he do? All the calculations he's making. He essentially reluctantly kills both dudes. (laughs) I think like, he accidentally yes. kills the first he, one. He accidentally kills the first one, and then he realizes, oh, there's no way, you know, to quote Al Pacino uh, in Heat, why, once you are at murder one, why leave a living witness, right? Uh, so he's he knows that it's better off for him if he just kills both of them. And um, I will say, in I think this is a really effectively done sequence, when the first guy who's like, when he's like on his knees on the ground is like, genuinely like freaked out and scared and sad when realizing that the other guy is dead and then and it really holds on and or for a long time as you can see him like before he shoots the guy as he's like calculating like all the all his options like potential outcomes until he finally makes the decision this he's this isn't as much as this is now our second introduction to Cassie and Andor in the dark alley <laughs> killing a person, mm-hmm. um, just like he is in Rogue One. In Rogue One, he does it pretty quickly as if he, it's he like, like barely hesitates in Rogue One. Exactly. In this, it's there cold is a blo- cold blooded in Rogue One. Yeah. Know, yeah. In this, there's a lot of hesitation as he has yeah. to think through it and then finally arrives at that decision. Uh, and so, again, you can see, a, you know, uh, the I, I, I guess the character development that we have to go through over yeah. the course of these two seasons. And that's kind of, that is the, the show is planting its flag, I think, by, with this scene and basically saying like, okay, you saw him at the beginning of Rogue One, you saw him at the beginning of this show, like, this series, Andor, is going to take you from this character who doesn't know how to handle himself, like, probably could have gotten out of this situation if he was, like, er, older and wiser, uh, from this guy who's reluctantly defending himself to cold-blooded murdering on behalf of the Rebellion. Like, that's that's the arc of the show, and I'm here for it. That's yeah. a good arc. I'm, I'm interested in where that's going to go. Okay. Also, I just want to say, uh, this city looks awesome. Uh, just like these these back streets and everything, these like, sort of like uh, like plexiglass kind of like pods in the walls with people in them. The, there's like a hologram alien dancer in the brothel slash nightclub, whatever. It's just, I mean, we've come to expect like a, a pretty high level of 
production design and visuals from modern era Star Wars. Uh, they have a really amazing team designing all of this stuff. And uh, and I just, I, I really like the look of, of this place that is again uh, called Moriana, uh, sorry, Morlana Corporate Zone. Yeah. And that's one of the most interesting things about the show, I think, is that it's about occupied territories and the places that are occupied are largely administered by corporations or a mm-hmm. corporate or corporate, you know, a corporation uh, as opposed to like the military arm of the empire or whatever. Uh, and I think uh, definitely a lot of like shades of the Iraq war, I would say in, in the story and um, the use of private contractors and war and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, what the show is going to say about that. I think it probably will have something to say about it, which is which really interests me. All right. So uh, obviously, this creates a lot of problems for Andor, but he goes back to Ferrix and meets his friend, uh, a woman mechanic slash inventory specialist. I wrote in my notes, um, but her name is Bix. Wait, you're not going to talk about everyone's favorite droid. Uh, oh yeah, sorry. I should say he kind of wakes up at uh, with B two EMO, right? Yeah. Which is, I, I got to say, I got some real Tars from Interstellar flashback. Uh, in and we we all love Tars. Stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's kind of like this kind of it's kind of the same cadence of tone, like the same mm-hmm. voice quality and cadence of tone as Tars, and also like both Tars in Interstellar and B two EMO are like these run down, kind of broken barely functional feel us like they're barely functional robots um but yes we do meet his robot friend he's a little blocky red guy yeah uh yeah. just just you know another, star wars has has consistently been great at droid designs and yeah. i think this is another really cool one and it also you know it and it's the kind of droid that uh probably not a top of the line droid it's what <laughs> they could afford mm-hmm. well we later learn it's like decades old yeah i think we see b2amo in a flashback uh when yes. he's picked up right so um but uh speaking of flashbacks I don't, maybe we should talk about the flashback now because like when he kind of wakes before he wakes up on ferrix uh andor has a flashback of when he was a child and there's a whole sequence of flashbacks we see throughout the episode basically mm-hmm. well throughout um, the episodes episodes. yeah yeah and it shows him kind of with a bunch of other kids on uh canari which is we later learn is an abandoned imperial mining planet where there was some kind of mining disaster and Mm -hmm. apparently after that uh the empire left it behind and so and i'm curious about this he lives with like a band of kids yeah and i'm wondering were there parents killed right. in the mining disaster and then they ended up kind of forming their own little community because the clothing that they're wearing seems like it was kind of made from like yeah harvested harvested yeah. exactly uh they're not making clothing out of like leaves and stuff it's like these these were like yeah uh these were, were actual like manufactured like you know clothing items that they've now kind of like like refashioned and all of that but uh but he seems to to live with this just you know gang of 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 kids in the woods just other teens and a, a really interesting thing about this is also is all of these sequences they speak a different language uh they're not speaking basic which is of course what they call english in star wars mm-hmm. yeah. uh but none of it's subtitled 
Yeah, I, I was uh, I was surprised at that. It was it was interesting. Um, I watched the the show on screeners, and I was like, "Is the screen are the screeners missing the subtitles?" You know, like, uh, but no. When the final episodes came out, no subtitles. I was like, "Are the screeners malfunctioning? There's no subtitles on it." Um, but yeah, really interesting decision to not have any subtitles on what they're saying. Yeah, and you so. can, you can, you can figure it all out, and and uh, you know, like like it's very easy to follow. You can figure out like, oh, here's his sister, and uh, he seems to be called. Uh, uh, Casa or Casa, mm-hmm. uh, not Cassian, uh, on that world. And also in the Rolling Stone piece, they mentioned that uh, this was, I don't think it was entirely uh, to explain this, but um, this also gives an in universe origin for Diego Luna's accent and mm. uh, why, yeah. you know, because he is from Mexico uh, in the real world and the rest of the cast is not. It's largely Americans and Brits. Yeah, and so putting him on this the, this other planet makes sense. He has a different accent than everyone else. Yeah, I I thought all the other stuff on that planet was really interesting. I was just like, wow, I've never really seen anything like this before. You know, and then when the when the kid the uh, this ship crashes, mm-hmm. I guess it's an imperial ship, is my sense, right? Oh, um, this is a thing that I'm I'm also interested in because yeah. the uniforms that the people on the ship are wearing don't seem to be like traditional imperial uniforms and also yeah. the people on there mostly seem to have like yellow skin mm-hmm. and seem to as if they're from like a, a specific alien race and so it didn't it could be imperial because a lot of things are in this yeah. world in this part of the timeline uh because this would presumably be maybe like 15 years ago or so. Uh, first of all, I don't think the, the the yellowed skin I believe is due to like poison that was released or or some, okay. poison something. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it it uh, it could be. And, and I think our sense is that the mining disaster happened before the events of the flashbacks. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. As so in, big like, mining the... disaster happened, and then like maybe someone went back down to like do reconnaissance in the ship. Something went wrong with a ship right. or something like that. Those right? kids look like they've been there for a while, like living in the woods. B- because the thing is, Marva, when she shows up later, is like, hey, like there's an Imperial frigate on the way. So I assume it's an Imperial ship, you know, as to why. But anyway. It makes sense. Marva uh, being Fiona Shaw's character, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I loved all that stuff with uh, the the kids kind of approaching the ship like they all have, they have like a plan they're like organized you know they have like a plan of attack um i was like heartbroken when that uh one of the lead uh, child got shot by the guy that woke up and then like yeah. all the kids descend on that guy and it's like a really scary with, with their blow darts movie. right yeah, yeah. they have blow darts like ready to go and right. they put like 18 blow darts into the guy it's really like a harrowing sequence it like, is really well and, done. and also we, I mean, obvi- it seems like these kids lived in like a more advanced civilization and then ended up kind of, you know, like moving to the woods after probably after the mining disaster. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of, from what I can recall, other than the Ewoks, have we really seen many like indigenous people like uh, like living in this kind of society in mm-hmm. Star Wars? I mean, maybe um, you would you would know more than me, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Tuscan Raiders a little bit, yeah. but it, it it it's very rare to see people you know people in Star Wars living in like tents in the woods. Yeah, 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 and uh, really covered in dirt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, young Cassian decides to stay behind, even as like the rest of the kids kind of get out of there. 
goes to investigate the ship, starts smashing, like sees himself in a mirror. And then that was a cool moment too, because he's like, oh, he probably, there's no mirrors where they are probably. So right. it's, it's interesting to see himself reflected in a piece of technology. Then he starts smashing everything. And I assume that that was because uh, he was upset that they had killed his friend, but I didn't mm-hmm. know what your interpretation of that was. That was how I took it as well. Yeah. I, I, I didn't read it as he he hates the little face paint stripe he drew on his chin so much <laughs> that he's just going to throw a fit about it. Yeah, I assumed it was just because yeah. it kind of... I, I, I mean, you know, honestly, there's like a lot of things that, that could have potentially triggered that. Uh, he seems to, you know, be living a difficult life. Um, but yeah, uh, he does start smashing up the place, which is when, uh, I believe that's when the uh, other characters show up, right? Yeah, uh, Marva and her buddy, and they are clearly, I think, scavenging the ship for like energy cores or what have you. And mm-hmm. so they show up, they get there, and then she's like, I'm not going to leave this kid behind to die because there's all these dead people outside. They're going to blame the kid. They're going to enslave him. They're going to kill him, whatever. So she just kind of hastily uh, takes him. And I mean, that whole sequence is awesome, too. I mean, it happens in episode three, but her friend says to her, hey, like, you you better think about this. And she's like, oh, there's going to be plenty of time for that. And, you know, like, it kind of knocks him out, like, gives him some kind of injection and then, like, takes her with him. And then you you you... As the viewer, you're like filling in what the whole rest of the story is. And it's just a wonderful moment when you're like, oh, I get it all like locks into place for you. Like right. what, what Andor's relationship with Marva is, how they met, how Andor got to be on Ferrex at all. Like all why no one knows he's from Canary. Like all this stuff is just answered in that one scene. It's very satisfying narratively. I thought. It, it, it is. And also you realize like, oh, this is he's probably been looking for his sister for this entire amount of time mm-hmm. because – that time when he leaves her with the group to go uh, check out the crashed ship. And, you know, the the last shot of episode one is the camera pulling away in this wide shot of his sister yeah. staying behind at the camp. And so this whole time, just because Marva takes him uh, with her, just, just to escape in time. So since he was probably, he looks like about like maybe 15 or so, he's probably been trying to find the little sister that he left behind. Indeed. So that is the... Oh, go ahead. There's one more thing that I want to mention. Um, I'm trying to uh, just find uh, his name, but Marva's friend uh, with her on the ship, is that uh, Clem? I believe it's Clem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, Clem Andor is uh, played by Gary Beadle. Um, don't they mention in the present day in episode three? Weird, that he, weird that, oh, that's, that's probably why his, his name is Andor, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, exactly. go ahead. I'm, I'm trying to see if, uh, Fiona Shaw, if, if her name is, uh, credited as Andor as well. Um, no, she's just Marva. She's just Marva. Oh, no, no, no. Well, oh. On IMDb, take that yeah. with a grain of salt. She's credited as Marva Andor. Okay, so, so maybe that's th- so they're married. Then they're not. They're not just friends. It it's seems not, that uh, way. Yeah. Um, but, or or they could be. Yeah. I was going to say they could be brother and sister, but I don't think that makes sense. So they are. Mar- I think they're married, and Andor is their new child, basically their adopted child. Right. Gotcha. I. Uh, what I was going to say was uh, in the present day in episode three. Don't they mention that he was killed? 
Uh, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, I don't recall though. Uh, like specifically, I believe that he moment. was like like specifically like executed for something. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think it's episode three though. I'm pretty sure it's like episodes one or two that that's that's Maybe. revealed. Yeah. I I believe I believe that is mentioned, but uh, and 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 I'll go back and check. Uh, I will, you know, I, I I actually I don't think it is episode two. I think it might be three. All right. Well, anyway, anyway I we will confirm this by next episode of this show. Yes. Yes. Uh, so anyway, that's the Canary flashback stuff. Anything else you want to say about that before we move on? No. Okay. Oh, really, really awesome sequence. I thought. Yeah. All, all, all well done. I, I he's still in the present day. Uh, we see that he still has his kind of like staff blowgun uh, thing mm. in his bedroom, uh, next to a little bantha toy. So nice little. That's what we call, I believe, in the business, an Easter egg. That right is, there. yeah. So, so, uh, so, some people, I'm sure, were so thrilled and relieved. It was like <laughs> it was like being in a desert and finding an oasis. <laughs> mm-hmm, oh, th- mm-hmm. oh, thank God, a, a bantha toy, something that reminds me of Tatooine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so Andor wakes up on Ferrex. He has some flashbacks. He meets his friend Bix, and he says, "I have something to sell." An NS9 Starpath unit, Imperial Seal still intact. This was just a slightly confusing to me because I thought, did he get this off of those dudes that he just killed? But no, it's presumably something that he got like a long time ago. Uh, and then he reveals later on in, the, uh, in episode three how he got it. Right, mm-hmm. But it's apparently something he's been hanging on to for a really long time uh, to unload in just such an emergency as the one that he's in right now. Right? Yep. Bix, we we learn, is kind of having a, a relationship with her coworker Tim, um, who does not know anything about the relationship that Andor and Bix have. Um, Bix agrees to contact her uh, her con- like her buyer, who we later learn is a character named Luthen, played by Stellan Skarsgård. I also um, I got the impression that at some point Cassian and Bix probably dated or had mm-hmm. a thing. Yeah. And uh, because Tim is uh, clearly jealous yes. of uh, of like anytime she's talking to Cassian, he's like watching them and not into this, uh, and which becomes a major uh, plot point. But um, but yeah, uh, nothing is ever said explicitly. But I just got the vibe that they had had a thing before, and now it's their relationship is mostly, you know, just like like business transactions i didn't necessarily think they had a relationship but i think that what is clear is i think bix and andor connect on a level that is different than bix and tim i would say honestly the biggest weakness of these three episodes is the kind of bix tim relationship because tim is so unlikable right from the get-go like uh that his eventual death really didn't have that much of an impact on me i know they try to fill it in they have a little kind of you know, tender moment between Bix and Tim when she comes back one night. And, but, um, it didn't, it didn't feel like it. that was the only one minor thing about the first three episodes that I was like, Oh, not, not loving the Tim thing because they, you know, they had to kill him off and they didn't really just have very much time to build that guy up before he does some terrible shit and they kill him. You know, D- David, it's okay. You, you could admit that you just don't like Scottish people. <laughs> Thank you for uh, giving me the space to do that. Of course. But I, the- I, I mean, 
yeah, Tim, like I don't think Tim is like he's not like intensely unlikable, but he's just like right away you're just like oh he's like you know <laughs> this this is a guy who's just always like grumpily like watching them like you mm-hmm. know like uh, yeah. like from the background being like like you know. I don't I, I don't like you, Cassie and Andor, you know, get out of yeah. here. So also, you know, he's like hanging out at the bar. He's like maybe drinking a bit too much and making some uh, questionable decisions, uh, stuff like that. And I will wait. Actually, never mind. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I was going to say we, we also learn a few other things about Andor in the first couple episodes. Uh, Andor like owes people money. He meets a character named Vetch. And Nurchi on the street that try to get money from him. Uh, he's swapping chip logs on the ship. And his guy says, uh, you know, he says, I want to leave it better than I found it. And his friend says, the way you always do, the Cassian way. And you get the strong feeling that he's being sarcastic. Like Cassian's kind of um, a mess up. It kind of seems like he's not uh, widely well regarded. He's not like a widely respected person on Ferrix is what I can tell. Right. Yeah. No, he's just. He he's in debt. He's mooching off of everybody. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he borrowed a ship to to fly to Morlana One. Like that wasn't his ship. Uh, he's like he's broke all the time. I mean, he makes like uh, his whole income is just from like stealing stuff and then like reselling it. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's uh, he's not especially good at what he does, and people don't seem especially fond of him. Like they tolerate him, but uh, but he doesn't have like other, with the exception of um, what's his name? Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm looking it up. Brasso. His friend Brasso, the yeah. guy who works at the place with the gloves. Yeah. Uh, Brasso it seems to be one of the only people who, like, actually likes Cassian and will help him out for reasons other than, like, business reasons. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, you bring up the gloves, and I actually think that's a great touch. I thought the way that Ferrex is depicted feels very lived in, feels very realistic. But the idea of the glove wall is an interesting one. Because... I realized like, oh, I've never seen anything like that before. And I think the implication of the glove wall is this is an extremely tight knit community. Like Mm -hmm. everyone knows everyone. So the reason they could leave their work supplies up on the wall is because no one's going to steal them because everyone knows, like everyone knows each other. And I I think events later on reinforce this idea. How tight knit this community is. Yes. And and it's also, it's just, it's cool to see like, a regular workplace. This is yes. like kind of uh, like a construction site or yeah. or something. Mining. They do mining as well. I think. Yeah. yeah, but like you know, it's it's like all you know. Everyone's going to work and they put on their work gear. And again, we don't tend to see a lot of that in Star Wars. Just people with like blue collar jobs. But I've re- okay. Um, are we saving like deeper analysis until a little bit later? Because there's. Uh, I, I feel like the scene here ha- is a really good example of, of I think, one of the show's greatest strengths. Which scene specifically? The scene where uh, Cassian uh, goes and, and talks to Brasso. Yeah, go ahead. Th- that happens early on. So yeah, so, uh, so basically because uh, Cassian, knowing that, you know, uh, oh, last night uh, he ended up killing some people and yeah. this might cause complications. And so he goes and meets with his friend Brasso and... Uh, like when he gets off work and is just basically just like, Hey, like 
here's here is uh please please go along with the story I'm making up about us hanging out last night to give me an alibi for where I was if people end up asking about that. And and it's a thing where without him saying explicitly like, "Hey, I'm in a tough situation. I need you to, you to lie for me." He's just like basically yeah. just says like, "Hey, where were you last night?" No. Here, here's what happened, and uh, and here's what we did, and here's the timeline of events, and then Brasso immediately starts like yes, anding him, yes, and uh, and contributing more details to their like fictional story about the events of the past night, and what I think is what I really like about this show is that in there are so many characters that are introduced over the course of these few episodes. Uh, and th- these are brand new characters to Star Wars. And in every case with these characters, every character has more going on and more and feels like they have more of an internal life than we're used to. Like they have existing relationships with each other. These are we, there are characters who are uh, jealous or they are lazy or they are like you know like frustrated with their jobs they are 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 they like kind of greedy they they always have it it's clear that these that these characters like they they want things or they have like like that they have actual feelings outside of just being like i'm a crime boss and i do crime and uh if you want to do if you if you want you know to my help you've got to give me money which is you know that's not like a a huge criticism but that's that's how a lot of characters that we meet in star wars things often are and here i'm just like oh wow these these are like immediately like feel like three-dimensional characters who have lives and we are jumping in and like they have existing relationships and everything and just seeing like oh like Cassian and Brasso within like 30 seconds have like, oh, this is a rapport that they have that is, has been built up over years. And they, they have like a way of talking to each other that, that is like clearly like there is an actual friendship here. And uh, and it just, again, it feels like I'm praising a show for doing the bare minimum, but I I don't think that it's that case. I think it is, it is this is a show that is very good at immediately making every character feel like a human being, not just like a stock character, you know, d- designed to serve one purpose. Yes. Uh, agreed. At the same time, wow, we're praising a show for characters with internal lives, you know? Uh, but you take what you can get. You take what you can get. Yeah. You know? but, but Because also, if Brasso were just like, you know, a one-dimensional cartoon who shows up for like one scene, we also wouldn't really be complaining about that. We'd just be like, oh, that's fine. But uh, but the fact that like oh this little character feels like he has more going on, um, it's like that's not the bare minimum. That is going a little bit above and beyond. Yeah, and I did love that interaction they have. And uh, Cassian doesn't. I don't think he explains like what actually happened. He's just like he doesn't say anything about yeah. it. It's just yeah. it's clear. Brasso can read between the lines yeah. that he's doing a favor because something happened last night that uh, might be bad for Cassian, and he's going to help out his friend. All right. What else happens in the first two episodes? Uh, they he Andor convinces Bix to call her guy Luthen Stellan Skarsgård, who shows up. There's like a bunch of scenes with Luthen showing up that I was just like, oh, these are just really like kind of color. They fill in the color of his visit to the planet. Like he's on the bus with like he's on the space bus with this guy and just hanging out with the guy, and it's like. Wow. Okay. And I don't think we're ever going to see that character again. You know, like 
the guy he's talking to. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. there are. It, it, it's wild. It's a Star Wars show that has uh that that has dialogue scenes and introduces characters just to kind of uh, flesh out the world and that are not just there to like for lore purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I. I, I will say, um, Cassian Andor does uh, walk a lot. Uh, there is, I know, uh, uh, Matt Singer on Screen Crush wrote a whole. His review of the show is basically just about Cassian Andor walking and a list of all the parts where he walks. And I will say, in the first two episodes, uh, there is. Um, I, I didn't think while, while watching, I was like, man, they. I, I think it's because they. Uh, they Unlike the other Star Wars shows, which are largely shot using the uh, the volume, the ILM stagecraft technology with like the LED walls, uh, on Andor they built immense sets. Like they basically built like several acres of um, of this of, of Ferrex of just of this city uh, to, to shoot on practically. And it almost and, and a couple times, and this is a very minor complaint. Um, I was kind of like. Are they just really trying to get their money's worth and showing as many shots of Cassian walking down streets as possible just to put it put all the money on screen? Because, you know, it, it does show him walking from one place to another a lot. Indeed. Indeed. But I didn't mind it. You know, he's a good looking. He's got a good gait. He does. He has a you cool know, jacket. Diego Luna. Yeah, cool jacket, got a good gait. So. There's often uh, fun little aliens in the background that yeah. Yeah. I love to look at. All right. Uh, I think that's most of Cassian's storyline until episode three. Uh, but before well, we... Well, there is him, like, you know, uh, once... Uh, I guess once people start looking for someone who matches his description, yeah. there is, like, the scene uh where he talk where he he talks to marva uh played by fiona shaw for the first time and she is just pissed at him because she she's heard about the fact that uh you know there's someone who is wanted for questioning uh that is um you know uh a male from canary and they're and and yeah, they start running through all the people they know who might they, they might have told that he's from canary they're like jesse samo etc they have this whole list probably some of who are on wikipedia you know like right yeah. but i uh, but it's a, it's a thing where because it so she's basically like kind of his adoptive mother yeah um and it seems like he like does live with her uh most of the time mm-hmm. and uh and she's just like re- re- it, it's like there were in the scene uh, where they interact for the first time, like in the present day, uh, it there's a sense that it's not there's not a ton of warmth there. It is clear yeah. that she cares about him and his safety, but is also just immediately just mad that he messed up the rules because they have a whole backstory they created about what planet he was actually born on, and somehow uh, he screwed up and gave away to somebody uh his actual birthplace and now it looks like every their whole lives might come crumbling down and uh and again i i, I like this thing like right away uh she you know the first time these these characters uh have a scene together it, it like like without giving obvious uh exposition they're 
they're communicating to the audience that like like okay like like what what their lives have been like what their relationship is like all of this stuff about about uh like the rest of their lives and uh i th- i think it's good stuff also fiona shaw is always very good yeah <laughs> and she's awesome um, i do wonder yeah, if she's going to appear in more than these she's only in episodes two and three and i i wonder because uh cassian does leave uh ferrix after at the end of episode three so i'm like is that the end of her I would not be surprised if it was the end because she's also like that's it's a beautiful final shot for her. It's kind of like pulling out as she's weeping on the ashes of their broken household. Yeah. But yeah, it's you're it's a good observation that there's not that much warmth there. That's I I felt that. I wasn't like, "Oh, this is like the loving mom who like, you know, Cassian like really loves back and lots of warm feelings." I mean, I think because Cassian is kind of uh, uh, not these most successful dude who everyone reveres and admires and has made a mess of things. Um, you can probably sense that the impact that that's had on Marva as well, right? So yeah, also, I mean, look, she was like a scavenger. That was like her job, a scavenger, and then her husband. It seems like got like c- like captured and executed. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I imagine that they instilled Cassian uh, with. I guess skills to survive in uh you know difficult situations, right. but it's not like they were you know <laughs> like it was it doesn't seem like it was a wonderful loving household <laughs> indeed all right before we move on patrick uh let's take a quick break and talk about where people can find more of your work on the internet if they're enjoying this conversation absolutely uh so most of what I do on the internet is uh is I, I make video essays that are usually about movies, and you can find those over at Patrick H, uh, youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems. That is the URL. Uh, I will say in terms of Star Wars-related stuff, um, I made my final Star Wars-related video in February 2020. Uh, so if you want my feelings about Star Wars, you'll have to dig a little bit to go back there. Um, and, uh, and then I'm on the social media platforms at Patrick H. Willems. All right. And I do just want to shout out uh, that Decoding TV covers a lot of different shows. Uh, right now we're covering She-Hulk uh, with Siddhartha Laka. We're covering The Rings of Power with Don Marshall. We also have a separate podcast called The Cast of Kings covering House of the Dragon. Be sure to check all that stuff out at podcast.decodingtv.com or castofkings.com. And if you want to support this show, decodingtv.com, become a paid member. That's how you can do that. I also want to give a shout out to the Episodic Medium podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, Episodic Media Newsletter, which is uh, a newsletter I consider essential to my online media consumption habits. Uh, a lot of former AV Club folks there writing about TV. Uh, check it out at episodicmedium.substack.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, Patrick. Talk about the other plot lines in this episode, or these series of episodes. Yeah. Uh, Morlana 1, Corporate Security Headquarters. Two men are dead. Uh, and Kravis is one of them. He's one of the most unpleasant people I've ever met, says uh, detect- or Deputy Karn's boss. And there's this wonderful interaction between Karn and his boss where they kind of run through all the stuff that's happened. And Deputy the, the, the boss is like, honestly, amazing scene because the boss puts the whole thing together in like 10 seconds. He like understands everything that goes on. Um, but... Deputy Karn will not be cowed. He's like, he, he he's a young upstart. He does things by the book. And he's like, that could have easily been me that got killed on that planet. And I want to make sure we get to the bottom of this. This is, uh, the thing that I mentioned before about the scene with Brasso and these characters ha- having more going on than w- we often encounter with a lot of Star Wars characters. This was really the scene where where I kind of sat up and went, "Oh wow, I've I, I've never seen a scene quite like this in Star Wars." Like we've seen lots of scenes of Imperial officers, like you know, talking about Imperial things and following orders and stuff like that. But here we have two people who are work, I guess, in an Empire adjacent thing. It's like a, it's like a you know a security company that it seems like they were contracted by the empire to, to do things, but you have these two employees and one of them in like one of them, he, he does figure out like, like the boss, like he does he have a sense of what happened, but is also just like, I don't like this guy. He sucked. Uh, this is like, this seems like it would be a big headache. Let's just kind of brush it under the rug and move on with our lives and not make a big deal about it, which is not a thing we usually see like Imperial folks doing. And then we have Karn, who is... I mean, we saw a little bit of it in Rogue One where Krennic is a middle manager type person who's trying to like, you know, manipulate right. his his superiors into getting the outcome that he wants but exactly and but but, but it's also but usually it's not, yeah it's not usually like that in right and and again i love krennic krennic is like maybe my favorite character in rogue one because we're not used to seeing these middle manager type people and then and andor doubles down on the like complicated middle manager type people because then you have it's karn right yeah i uh, uh, and and then, and then karn who is like the vibe I get from him is uh I uh, Gareth on the British office who became Dwight in the American office, which mm-hmm. is the kind of person who's like they're kind of a loser and uh don't have a lot of friends and get this office job and just have like this like really un like 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 unearned loyalty toward the company and kind of put all their energy into just being like Look, we have to put the company first, and I am here for this is the team that I'm on, and I want to do a really good job, and I'm I'm very excited about this tiny little bit of power that I have, and I want to just like get like like follow that as, like as hard as I can, and and like I because I want to be the like my ultimate dream in life is to be the boss at this company I work for, and that's the vibe I get from Karn, where 
it's like everyone around him doesn't seem to like all his coworkers just seem to put up with him, and he's just very concerned that two employees of the company were killed, and he's going to go all in on this one thing and just figuring this out because it's his one chance to feel powerful and like get to order people around. Because then eventually in episode two, sorry to skip ahead slightly, but when he's like there with actual people who are. You know, they're going on on the mission down down to Ferrix, and he's there with people who are actually like trained soldiers or actually like have like firearms and stuff like that. And he's put it in a spot to give like a speech kind of to the troops, and it's so pathetic. And all he can do is just like rehash uh like inspiring aphorisms he's heard before, and no one is taking him seriously. And I'm just like I. I never see this kind of person in Star Wars. And this guy, again, he as a person, he sucks so much, but he's such an interesting, weaselly little character. And I want to watch so I, I I hope he continues for like the whole season because he's he's so interesting. I'm going to put this out there, uh, Patrick. I think you're. Uh, great stuff on Karn. Cyril Karn is his first C- name. Oh, what a good name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that you're being a little bit hard on him, okay? Because I actually think that the show makes him slightly sympathetic. Um, now, it, let me let it, me say a couple things. Does. Let me say a couple things. Let me say a couple things. First of all, my favorite line from their first interaction was um, when he says, uh, his boss says to him, like minimizing. We want to minimize the time the Empire spends thinking about Priox Morlana. That's what he says. Um, anyone who's ever been in a corporate environment, and I have for like a decade, knows that that is something that a lot of people want to to do. When you're presenting with the bosses or whatever, minimize the time they need to spend thinking about what you're doing because um, ideally you're taking care of everything. Everything's under control and they don't need to be like, what's going on with this? What's going on? You know, like, because if they're doing that, then it means they're not happy with something. So right. you want to minimize And if you're like, there's been a murder, we're going to blah, blah, blah. You know, then it's like, Okay, now now they're all up in your stuff. Let's make all of our lives easier. Let's minimize the time. Okay. I do think that the show goes to great pains, Patrick, to establish that uh, there are other people sympathetic with Karn's position. Sergeant Linus Mosk shows up later on. Uh, also a great name. And uh, like everyone just has the perfect name for what they look like and what their character does in this show. It's right? true. Um, and Linus Mosk shows up and... You know, he and Karn have a conversation and Karn's like, yeah, I wanted to get going on this as fast as possible. And, you know, Linus is like, I agree. We need to take a stronger hand with these planets that we're, you know, like there is he. Yes, Karn is a douchebag. And if he was in the office, he'd be the most annoying person there. A lot of Tracy Flick energy emanating off of Karn. For Can sure. I also like, add that he on his own modified his uniform and did some some slight tailoring on it and like adjusted like the color piping on it because mm-hmm. that is how seriously he takes his job yes but i think that we are meant to at least a tiny bit sympathize that hey this guy's just had some of his coworkers murdered and he wants to get to the bottom of it and yes he is a very annoying person in the service of that 
But there was a tiny part of me that was like, oh, he's this is just a guy trying to do the right thing. You, you could easily see a movie, Patrick, that's told from his perspective where he is the good guy. Oh, absolutely. You know? That's I, what I'm I, saying. I, I think yeah. this is what makes him so compelling. Yeah. Uh, because you told the, the thing is, you, I, you were really hard on him just now. So I'm I like, was really hard on him. <laughs> well, well, because it's the thing. I I think, I uh, I think that you know, this reaction about like his coworkers being murdered does largely come from his intense loyalty toward the company and being like, like you know anything bad happens to anyone at the company, you know, like this is my team. And so it's almost less than being like people who were murdered and more like the company was dishonored and, Mm -hmm. uh, and we need to do what is right. But it's it's like, again, he's like kind of a pathetic character. And so I, I kind of feel, I kind of pity him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. And again, I, I, I was hard on him because, uh, you know, like you said, uh, if we encountered him in real life, uh, we would not want to spend much time with him. Right. Um, I just think he's he's very interesting, and um, I and I I I think I uh, I think his reasons for for doing what he he does and going all in on trying to like solve this case are less about his him caring about human life and more about him caring about the corporation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's get to episode three, Patrick. Uh, and I, well, I'll just start by saying I'm really glad they released these first three episodes at a time. Uh, I think you were right on when you said the boundaries between episodes felt fairly arbitrary. Like, I think I, I said think that they, off mic before we oh, started recording. Maybe, but, but I think, I think uh, it would have been fairly unsatisfying if they just released like episode one by itself. You know, These three episodes really feel like they form a three-episode arc. Um, like they are like their own standalone movie if this was the entirety of andor like just these three episodes i'd actually feel like oh that was pretty cool like you know um but anyway it, I, I, I yeah go ahead and i agree I, I mean they definitely made the right call releasing the three together because the first two episodes while i think they're compelling and i like the characters and stuff like that they're they are fairly slow they're mostly uh you know characters talking in their homes and stuff like that there isn't like uh it it really takes until episode three for like to get some like like a a huge jolt of energy in the show episodes one and two are a lot of like laying the groundwork and all of that and i was a little concerned when episode one ended and it just kind of ends with like all the threads going there's no it it, you know it's it felt kind of like they shot episodes one and like it's the vibe I got when episode one ended, I was, I was like, is this going to be one of those situations, you know, like every Netflix show where, oh, it's a 12-hour movie and they yeah. just kind of split them in random places. And uh, because it's, it's a thing that a lot of people are frustrated with. And I – and but having seen the first three episodes, what I really like about this and then also having read – you know stuff that tony gilroy has said about it is that even if the like episode uh if if, like the dividing lines between like episodes one and two and two and three are a little bit arbitrary like they just kind of stop and then pick up again in in the next one the three episodes together are like such a contained arc that like there is an ending to episode three and then it really seems like uh 
four through six will be their own thing. They will function as these units. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, I like, you know, the first three episodes are kind of like one giant size episode. And it does actually feel like a, a, uh, a store, a satisfying story is told across those three. And so that really made up for my initial, uh, you know, like uncertainty about the episode structure there. But episode three things are really kick in. Yeah. I thought episode three was amazing. Um, it's really good. It, it just the pacing of it, the way it ramps up the score, the sound design of it was just really, really good. Uh, and so it's basically the, the men on Ferrix are like the, the ship shows up from Morlana and it's an awesome shot when it like comes out of light speed and then like immediately, like literally a split second after it comes out of light speed, like it starts deploying these shuttles onto the surface. And, uh, and the, the whole episode is basically what happens when these corpos uh, in this universe start occupying the land that they are supposed to be in charge of uh, and Catastrophic things ensue. By the way, in the Andor universe, uh, uh, ACAB stands for All Corpos Are Bastards. I, just, I thought that was um, something that I think comes through in the episodes. It's it's true. So, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and also, uh, Stellan Skarsgård's character does say bastards like, yeah. several times. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, a thing that I want to point out, because we haven't mentioned him by name, uh, Toby Haynes directed yes. the first three episodes and i believe yes. directs a few other episodes later in the season uh david are you familiar with toby haynes's directing work uh a little bit a little bit didn't he do some black mirror uh i yeah i think he he did one episode i think it yeah. was was it the uss callister episode yeah yes that's right yeah because i so i've been a fan of toby haynes ever since um he did a like five episode run of doctor who he mm. did like the two part finale to season five, which I think is the best season of Doctor Who. Uh, then the Christmas special, and then the opening two episodes for season six. And I back then, this was like 2010, uh, 20, like 2010, 2011. I was so struck by how well directed those episodes were and just the sense of scale that, uh, that he, he brought to a show that was often you know, considered like a little janky and cheap. Uh, and it, it just, it felt like it, just him coming on and directing those episodes felt like a huge upgrade to just the visual presentation of the show. And I, and like right away I was, I was like, okay, I need to remember this name because I think this guy is one of the the best TV directors I've seen come along in a while. I've been wondering like, when is he going to get hired to like make a movie or something and I, I i saw other tv stuff he did over time but i was so excited when he was announced to be doing andor because i was already looking forward to the show and i was like okay th- this guy doing star wars i think i think he's gonna be really good for this and and in these episodes as much as there are like visual similarities to like the general aesthetic of rogue one like a lot more like handheld stuff uh like very naturalistic lighting the kind of thing that you know like uh greg fraser and gareth edwards established there um we've highlighted so many really good directing choices over like in our discussion so far uh and i i'm i really think he like has kind of raised the bar for the Star Wars television, like having seen 
all the live action Star Wars TV so far. I think this is the best directed stuff that I've seen. Awesome. Uh, yeah, S- certainly. I think he's super talented after watching this set of episodes and episode three, I just think is a high watermark. It begins when these guys, the Corpo show up on the planet, but then basically the tension escalates as things slowly spiral out of control. They show up at Marva's house and they kind of take her aside. And then you hear and or calling in on the B2 EMO droid. And they use that comms link to kind of detect his location. Um, I do want to say, I think that is a Rogue One reference because in Rogue One, there's also a scene where Andor calls uh, K2SO in the, like when they're at Scarif and his voice comes through the droid again. So I was like, right. I wonder if that's a Rogue One reference. Anyway, you'd think he'd he'd have learned from this uh, <laughs> this instance not to do well, it. Again. I don't think I don't think it I don't think anything bad happened as a result of the latter instance though. But I okay. think it was a similar situation where his voice goes through it. Anyway, um, and then at the same time as that's happening, Andor is uh, encountering Luthen, and they have a whole conversation in this like really coolly designed warehouse hangar thing with all this stuff hanging above that becomes useful for the action scene later yeah and uh it's really a cool conversation because you learn like everyone's kind of playing poker with each other and they're like what do you know what do i know and it comes out essentially that luthan wants to recruit and or and or whoever uh and he wants to recruit Andor and slash or whoever is behind Andor, the guy. Um, because, yeah, go ahead. They, they named the character Andor just to create awkward <laughs> sentences like this one. Yes, indeed. Uh, and he's like, I don't know if you're the guy who stole this unit or you are representing him or you're with him. But like, I'm looking for the guy who like stole the unit. Uh, and then it's a really cool conversation where he says, you know, how did you steal it? I'll give you another thousand credits. Um, he has so much money to throw around. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you another thousand credits. And and he's like, I just walk in, I just walk in and people, uh, they, they don't even care. They, they are so arrogant. They, they think no one could possibly walk in and just take things out from under them. Uh, it's a great scene of dialogue and it's obviously like, very. I think it's going to be very thematically resonant with what the show is trying to say about, occupiers and their arrogance and like how that all plays out um it's it's awesome this is this is this is what the stuff is at the same time as that it's like intercutting between that and like things escalating like outside of of the warehouse Mm -hmm. um there's a big action scene that happens in the warehouse pretty good pretty good action scene you know well i mean Um, i mean the move where Stellan Skarsgård, our Luthen, reveals <laughs> that he had rigged an explosive yes. charge on the entrance. So he's all set for like, oh, if they come in after me, I'm going to blow them up. I'm yeah, good. It's amazing. It's amazing. And he just like does it so nonchalantly. Like, well, th- you know, th- like Donald, like uh, sorry, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and True Lies, like, here's my invitation. Like, kaboom. Like, yes, it's amazing. Well, and yeah. what's also fun about this is I, th- the stuff that you just mentioned with Cassian, you know, talking about you know the the arrogance of these of the of the people who who run who run everything that like they just like, they they never expect that someone like me can just stroll in and steal from them but it's interesting because like Cassian obviously you know hates the these occupying forces does not like the empire and stuff like that but he's not on any he has not been on any crusade to like to stop Correct. them or do anything to them he's just trying to survive here and and uh, and and 
seeing him get brought into the rebellion this way uh of just and and and, and Luthen just kind of like it almost kind of reminds me of uh of like the early scenes in Men in Black with Tommy Lee Jones yeah. and Will Smith mm, yeah. of just um w- like the the older person like looking like uh, at this younger person being like oh this, they ha- have the right skills and kind of the right attitude to like be very useful even though they don't really know that the thing i'm from exists or what it is at yeah. all and uh and 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 watching this yeah watching this develop and and watching like how he gets he gets brought in uh he basically gets brought into the rebellion just because he wants to get away just like because it's kind of a way out of a bad situation yeah. And yeah. and again, I and I like it because we're used to Star Wars being like pretty simple about being like, yeah, like there's the the big evil fascist bad guys and we're going to join the fight against them because it's the right thing to do. And I like that it's all a bit more complicated here. Well, you're saying it's born out of self-interest in this scene, yes. right? When but later on, I think it will go beyond self-interest. Yeah. Um Also like in terms of the action scene that happens uh, kind of a cool con- like the stuff falling down from the ceiling cool concept also just like the cool idea of hey there's this extremely valuable box that is like back towards the entrance and like Andor really wants to get it mm-hmm. um, you know th- it's a very minor blocking decision of like they go they walk to one side of the room the box is on the other side of the room and then like all of a sudden all hell breaks loose on the other side of the- you know but it creates a sufficient amount of tension that I, I-, I quite enjoyed the scene yeah also the the NS9 Starpath unit can track every imperial coordinate for nine parsecs apparently that's why it's so uh, you looked useful. that up didn't you no, I, I just recalled it instantly. But also, <laughs> like, what's interesting is uh, uh, that, like, he's he's like, how do I know it works? And he's like, well, if you if you plug it in, it instantly loses value. It's like a Star Wars action figure, basically. Right. Like, if you if you take the wrapping off, like, you can it's no longer untraceable anymore. Right. Which I thought was a funny, a fine touch. So anyway, uh, okay, so they get out, and what is awesome about this whole sequence is. Um, this like they start like banging, you know, all the townspeople start like banging on metal stuff in the background, like, this rhythmic fashion. Uh, and we we also didn't mention on Ferrix like at the beginning of every workday or whatever. There's a guy that goes up at to that tower ends. and like and no no, it's like every every workday I think. Yeah, but he but, does it multiple times. Yeah, well, he does it at the beginning and the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and he kind of bangs on this gigantic, like, gong-style unit metal thing that creates this noise. And so uh, they're, they're very into the banging on metal things in Ferrix, I think yes. is kind of what we learned. And, I mean, like, when they introduce the gong guy, it's it's the kind of thing that I love where it's just, like, right away, like, pretty quickly, they're just fleshing out, like, the culture of this place. Like, this is one of their kind of, like, daily rituals. Yeah. And uh, and it just, again, it makes the place feel more lived in. Agreed. Uh, but I just love the... A, what a great system, you know, like, and it's like, it is very intimidating and very unsettling. And it's not like, what are these, what are these guys going to do about it? They can't like arrest every single person that's doing it because there's like hundreds of them that are doing right. it. So it's like, doesn't make any sense. So it's like, it's like a smart system for fighting back. Um, and then basically at one point, like just cool badass thing after cool badass thing happens like in a row that it's it's so much stuff that i'm like i'm barely processing what just happened that was awesome and now there's another awesome thing that's going on but it starts with them like Andor basically getting the drop on 
Cyril Karn, right? And he's like, how many people are with you? And Karn's like, I, I don't know. And then, you know, you know, Luthen's like, okay, I'm just going to kill this guy. And Karn's like, okay, there's like 12 of us, which is like a really like, no, no. He's given them, you know, important information that's going to compromise his men now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they decide to not kill him. They tie him up so he can like live to see the humiliation. Uh, there's a guy that accidentally kills Tim and they're like, oh, we got to cover this up. Get on the ship and get out of here. And then you see that his friend, what's his name? Brasso? Um, Brasso, yeah. Has has attached a gigantic piece of metal to the ship. And so he like takes off and he can't take off. And then the piece of metal gets caught in something and the ship like swings to the side and explodes. It's great. And then and, Linus, and, and, and also and just like because they just planted the seed for that because we knew Brasso worked at this kind of like mining yeah. construction place. And so – and they're basically right at his workplace. So yeah. it's like totally within the skills that they've established. Totally, to totally. And, and also like you see that Brasso has like – has seen – you know, has said goodbye to Andor. He knows that these dudes are looking for Andor, right? And so he's trying to help his buddy out. Uh, and then Mosk, like it's almost, it was almost comical because Mosk like turns and he looks. He's like, "Oh my gosh, are they are they behind us? They they must be surrounding us right now." And it's just like it's just like literally like three dudes that have done like all the damage that he's talking about. Um, and then of course, the the sort of final sequence that happens is uh, a self driving vehicle takes down takes off down the street. And they blow it up, and then all the corpos... It's a speeder, David. Okay, fair enough. And all the corpos crowd around it, and then, like, uh, Stellan Skarsgård's Luthen, always uh, really good with the explosives. He, like, swings by on another... What is that called? I thought that was... um, Okay, uh, a speeder is, like, the car. The car, yeah. Or or, or the the land speeder. uh, Like the one that Luke has in episode four. Um, yeah. And then they're on a speeder bike. That's speeder bike. That's on, on episode six, basically, right? Yes. Similar to episode six, right? So, and they whiz by on a speeder bike, and then Stellan Skarsgård detonates the car, and it kills multiple corpos on the way. And it's like this big cathartic moment of like this is the end of the action scene that's been building up for like the last like twenty thirty minutes. And you really just get a sense of like Karn is just completely effed because he was not even supposed to be investigating this at all. Now he's gotten several of his own men killed because of his own incompetence. And did you not feel any sympathy for Karn in that moment, Patrick Willems? Uh, (laughs) A a little bit. I mean, again, as a pathetic figure where I'm just like, this guy is not even very good at what he does. Like, yeah. Again, in 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 his in his quest to feel a, a small sense of power. Yes. Um. Look, look what he did. Yeah. Because he thought they were just going to arrest one guy, and he. I mean, he just kind of. He mostly just got unlucky because he ended up in a situation with like what seems like like a rebellion leader uh, mm-hmm. who's like very skilled, who's both v- very rich uh, and also very skilled with like. Uh you know, guerrilla combat tactics. Yeah. <laughs> it's as you do, as you do sometimes. It of happens. Um, who, who among, who among us, who among us hasn't had that happen? To well, I, I, I mean, it's been a while for me, but yeah, yeah we've all been yeah. there. I, I will say, I, I also just really liked when the speeder bike is escaping as they're heading back to Skarsgård's uh, ship. 
just the like the aerial shots that show us a bit more yeah. of um of of Ferrex and just like oh oh like the uh what seems like like uh, like farming fields yeah, and yeah, yeah. and and just like you know I just it's this uh, we all love to see more of the worlds in Star yeah, Wars yes and 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 just and this stuff it it just it it fills it out a little bit more just like the the care put into the the design of like these like four second shots I yeah. love it I am looking forward to the scene. Next episode, I assume, when Karn is going to get his comeuppance for his terrible decisions. That's going to be all awesome. like, I want to see Karn meeting his boss again. That's going to be an amazing Ooh. scene, I hope. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just want more Karn. Uh, <laughs> that, I, I mean, I'm just like, it's int- a thing that I'm very curious about is because a lot of the like behind the scenes material and interviews about the show uh, have really have, have talked about you know, the the huge sets they built for, like, the city on Ferrix. And um, and it seems like we might be done with Ferrix now. And so I'm wondering, mm. like, man, if they built all of that for, <laughs> for like, 25% of the season. Uh, and I was also thinking when I was re-watching episode one, I was like, I'm guessing that the opening scene of the first episode on Morlana one, that that was redressed sets from Ferrix. Like there's a mm. part where Andor is like walking down some steps down a street. And, yeah, and there's yeah. also steps in like a Ferrix one. I was like, just thinking logically about like, yeah, Disney has a lot of money and this is an expensive show, but I'm just like, you know, like there's still efficient ways to do this, and I was yes. thinking, like they probably redressed the sets for that, and so I'm yeah. I'm curious like what are we gonna see next? Are there gonna mm-hmm. be other cities where they built like three acres worth of of like of streets for it? Because uh you know they're not I mean I, I'm sure there's a little bit on there, but like they're not just using LED wall backgrounds for every single scene like the other shows, and so. I just want to see what locations we're going to see next, um, yeah. because we're, we're we're into the next uh, like like story arc uh, starting next week. Indeed, a couple of other things I want to mention. Uh, I, I do think the shell shock that Karn is experiencing at the end of the episode is really palpable. Like he just has this look on his face, like Joe Bluth. I've made a huge tiny mistake. You know, like he's just really. And he his Linus Mosk needs to be like, dude, we got to get out of here. And he's like, he doesn't even know what to do at that point. It's amazing, right? Linus um, is also, I feel like I didn't talk enough about him, an incredible character, another oh, Scotsman. 100%, yeah. And, and that's a guy who's more experienced and better at his job than Karn is. Like has, you know, actually knows how to like lead a, like a, a battalion. Yeah. Uh, but also seems like very eager to, I, I, he seems like he just wants to shoot people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, like uh, Karn. Karn wants to order people around in the office. Uh, Linus wants to like be outside and to like hold people up at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, Linus Mosk, played by Alex Ferns, who is recently seen as Commissioner Pete Savage in Matt Reeves' The Batman. Oh my so, God! Yeah. Yes. That okay. I think he was the guy that like got, got like his face was gonna get eaten by rats in the Batman, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. So yeah, uh, he, anyway. he he's the guy who has the one uh, f bomb in uh, in the Batman. Who oh, says, nice. Happy yeah. effing yeah. Halloween to yeah. the Batman. 
yeah, he like delivers the speech uh, to, to the uh, like, like the press conference after the mayor is murdered. Yeah. Wow. And he has a an American accent there. Yeah, got a lot of range. A lot of range. So yeah. Well, anyway. this is the thing. All the, all these uh all these like big American productions shooting in the UK. Yeah. The episode of Andor, uh, episode three ends. The music is swelling. We get a glimpse of each character, basically boom, 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 like montage of like every single character, um, and where they are. Bix is very upset about Tim's death. Uh, I thought the scene with Marvo was very beautiful. You know, like kind of she's crying and understands that her life with Andor is probably over at this point. Uh, and there is a moment when Andor is on the ship and it cuts back and forth between Andor seeing the sunlight from when he was a child on Canari and Marva was taken off. And now he is from Ferrix with this other dude taken off. And basically like both of these characters in his life showing him what his future is going to be. Uh, and I thought that was a nice little visual parallel there. So, yeah. Anyway, a lot of great, Great stuff. Like great. I was, I, I, at the end, I was like, I'm satisfied. That was like a very satisfying three episodes of the show. Definitely. So. Also, as you were saying that, I'm wondering, did we actually talk about uh, Tim reporting Cassian and like? Oh, we that- didn't. We yeah, we didn't. Uh, we mentioned how traitorous Tim was as a, and annoying, but I, yeah, we didn't mention that he actually reported him, which was like, wow, you really hate that character. And you know? it, that really seemed to come down to him, like following Bix, seeing her meet Cassian at a bar, drinking a bit himself, and then being like, I'm gonna go report this guy. And so he's and and then and then he 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 gets shot by the very people that uh you know he sent the report to. Yeah. It's also I wanna say it's interesting watching a Star Wars thing where it's not just uh faceless stormtroopers uh as like the 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 bad right. guys in these shootouts, just watching right. like you know human beings, uh, uh, it's just ha- having faces on the people in the yeah. these shootouts. It's just it's it's kind of like a a new little wrinkle, refreshing, yeah, it's refreshing. But yeah, I think it's to sh- you know the the idea is to show you that hey, like loyalty is not rewarded in in the empire or the corp version of the empire, right? Right. Uh, with with Tim and also um. Like Tim is ultimately a subject, you know, he's ultimately uh, a part of an occupied territory and he is, he will be treated as such no matter how much useful information he provides. Well, um, a, a thing that I, I actually do want to say, it, are we considering Ferrix an occupied territory? Because I, I would think of an occupied territory as like Jeddah in Rogue One, where there's just like full like you know there's like a star destroyer hovering inside the atmosphere they're like mining mm-hmm. on kyber there there are stormtroopers in the streets this feels to me like just an ordinary planet mm. that's just well there. here's what here's what you're right because because it doesn't seem like there's a ton of corpos there right in general right i mean and in fact one of the one of the people says it's been a while since we've seen any like blue suits or whatever he calls corpos right, right? um sergeant linus mosk says quote we need a stronger hand, or this might not be an exact quotation, but he basically says, we need a stronger hand with these outer planets. Corporate tactical forces are the Empire's first line of defense. Um, that, that, so that's what he says. So may, maybe, like, technically they are, uh, they belong to the Empire or they're under the control of the Empire, but maybe they kind of, my sense is they kind of let them do their own thing most of the time. Right. I mean, I, like, my sense. Yeah. I think I think the Empire generally rules over everything. Yeah. Uh, but... There's a lot of planets. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of planets and not that many forces. And and I love that this is a show that's actually like really in-depth exploring what it actually means for the Empire to rule everything, right? Like you, right. you can't have you can't have a Darth Vader on every planet. You know, like you, you can't have an emperor on every planet, but you can have these corpos exactly. visiting planets. You can have corpos visiting planets sometimes. That's kind of what you can get. Yes. And it also <laughs> feels like the galactic civil war that the original trilogy is about is has not really gotten started yet. Like mm-hmm. it seems like Luthen is, you know, like in the early stages of the rebellion. Uh he's yes. like he's like a rich guy who's like, you know, gathering resources and funds and stuff, but it doesn't yeah. seem like there is an active war happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect we'll find out, but yeah, I think we're probably going to see it develop through the course of the show. So, yeah, exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. Anything else, Patrick Willems? I don't think so. I'm okay. just, um, you know, I, I, I said in the last episode why I uh, agreed to do the podcast with you that I was, I was optimistic about this show, and I feel like you will feel similarly here. It's really nice to see that uh, our optimism was rewarded. That it yes. is genuinely the uh, the fresh, exciting uh, show to kind of like revitalize our interest in Star Wars. Indeed, indeed. Well, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us. Let us know what you thought of the first three episodes at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, and if you want to support the show. Uh, you can go to decodingtv.com, become a paid member. You get early episodes, ad-free episodes, and bonus episodes whenever we can record them. Patrick Willems, thanks so much for chatting with me today, man. Really appreciate it. David Chen, pleasure as always. Thank you so much for uh, you know for asking me to do this show. I'm, I'm excited to spend the next couple months doing this. Indeed. We'll see you next week for another episode of Decoding TV covering Andor. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.